welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. No, we're so glad to be here tonight with you all. It's a joy to uh, to gather. First of all, it's it's just wonderful to be able to come together. Uh, in an environment where not everybody can do that. So uh, you're blessed, I'm blessed that we can all come together and uh, spend time in the presence of God. Um, It is our heart everywhere David and I go to strengthen the body of Christ, to come along and add something, deposit something by the Spirit of God that will establish you in your relationship with the Lord that will strengthen your foundation of faith, that will um, perhaps correct mindsets. But um, more than anything, our desire is to continually spend our life laboring that Christ would be formed in you so that we are truly a reflection of who Jesus Christ is on the church. We are Christians. Amen? And because we are Christians, we are growing and learning who he is so that we can accurately represent him and uh, extend his kingdom and do his work. And so everywhere we go, we like to remind people that this is what a Christian looks like. We try our best. We try we our, try best. our best to be those people. Yeah. David's got a great word tonight about honor and um, I'm, I'm going to let him preach that, but honor is all about value, isn't it? Honor is all about value. Honor is all about value. And what, what we value, we honor. We give to it. We esteem it. We recognize it as something that, that we esteem as important. And so I believe that the Spirit of God is going to realign our hearts and realign our thinking tonight about how we can honor God and how we can honor one another and truly represent him in a way that causes people to honor him as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. Don't touch. Uh, I'm convinced that if I get to stay in the ministry another 40 years, I might end up being a decent Christian. Because, as it's already been said in different ways tonight, being a Christian's sort of the point of the entire exercise. Sure. I'll tell you frankly, uh, I've been in the ministry, we have been, for 40 years or more, and being in the ministry has provided the context for us to become better Christians. That doesn't mean preachers get to be better Christians. That means that you have to find the context for your own life and live it out trying to obey God, and that whatever that context is, that's how you become a better Christian. So you don't really have a hope, I'm gonna tell you the truth about this, of being a good Christian if you are not practicing your faith by applying yourself to follow the Lord. You become a theoretician, you know doctrine, you know cool church stuff, uncool church stuff, but you won't really grow without putting your hand to the plow and leaning into it. It doesn't really matter whether you're planting seed or pulling up weeds or furrowing a a row. It doesn't really matter what your job is. It doesn't even matter if if it's a God-called job. It matters that you're 
trying to live it out, and this probably goes right to the root of honor. The root, the root of honor is found in your pursuit of knowing the will of God for your own life and then applying yourself to it. It's that complex, it's that simple. It's, it's just in trying to say, what do I do today? What do I do with that shoebox? What do I do with that shoebox? What do I do in the offering? What do I do about that guy that I see on the street corner that didn't have any food? It's in that process of choosing. It's in that process of unveiling your own heart where you prefer, where you decide what's required of you. About what's required of you. Not what your mama thinks, not what your wife thinks, not what Pastor Jake thinks, not what David McGrew thinks. What you can satisfy yourself on that this is what the Lord requires of you. Did you ever wonder why the scripture seems to really kind of only build a broad yet vague structure of what's right and wrong? Some things are clearly wrong. Stay away from those things. Other things are clearly right. Try and embrace those things. But every day you encounter some place to make a decision where you don't know what right or wrong is, and the people around you have a different viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yeah. Did you ever wonder why that was? Did you ever wonder why the Lord just didn't say, rule number 747, rule number 17,629A? It's called the law, which didn't work out so good in its application, but that's not really where I'm going with it. It's because every, every question you face that's not clearly defined is defined for you to be able to sit down and handle it and think about it and go ask your friends about it and they say, do this. And then you go ask another friends and they say, don't do this. And then you have to say, well, if I want to please Jacob, I'm going to do this. If I want to please Jacob's mom, I'm going to do this. If I want to please myself, I'm going to do this. After a while, you have to wrestle with it and discover what you think is right or wrong so you can come to a place of faith. Sometimes it's not really about what's right and wrong. It's about what you believe to be right and wrong for you. This, this has to do with you understanding that the nature of your relationship with God requires you to come to that place of decision, prefer what he said, value what he said, and then do that. That's honor. Did you ever wonder, for instance, why the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in the garden? Seems so profoundly unfair. It's like, you know, this cannot end well. There's a tree of life, there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's because for you to have a relationship with the Lord, and I can't pretend to know all the theology and the truth behind the different angles, but I know what I'm gonna tell you is true. There has to be something in your life that belongs to God that's not yours. It's always, it's always looming on the horizon of your life 
that you have to touch, that you have to take care of, that you have to prune, that you have to trim, but that you cannot eat the fruit of. In the New Testament, just to be candid with you, there's a lot of things that fit, but things like giving fit in there. Tithing fits in there because you value the money you have. You, you know what that money's worth, how many hours it took you to get that money. And the fact that Jacob quoted about the tithe earlier, it says in the scripture that the tithe belongs to the Lord. <clears throat> I think probably one of the, I said this earlier, but it is, it, is, it is really true for me. I didn't know it at the time, but one of the things that changed the most dramatically, that had the biggest effect on my life, though it wasn't even really a lot of money, was when I first got born again, we grappled with the issue of tithing. We did not have enough money to make, to make the ends meet of the month. We grappled with the issue of tithing. We stumbled with it, and for a few times we probably didn't do it quite right, but it didn't take us long to figure out that if we were gonna be Christians, we at least had to do what we thought we were supposed to do. So we began to do that, and the fact of repetition, the fact of every, every month, I had to face the truth that I had something that proved God was not me, that proved, as Jennifer said, God was not a better version of me, that somehow he was in charge of the relationship, that I was not in charge of the relationship. Now kids, listen, this will be on the test. <laughs> this will be on the test, because I guarantee you, the body of Christ is filled around North America, for sure I can speak to that, I don't know about the rest of the world, filled with men and women who have made God like unto themselves, and whose relationship with the Lord is one where they are the dominant partner in the relationship. That's not gonna work. That won't work when the pressure comes, that won't work when life gets hard. Somewhere along the line, you have to have the same kinds, plural, of experience that our forefathers, ancestors, Adam and Eve did, like every Christian who went before you to where you come to the very end of yourself and you make a choice about who it is you want to be. Do you want to be, do you want to retain the right to take care of yourself? Back to the tithe, it's just a good example. And keep the money, knowing full well that if you keep it, it's not, still not gonna be enough to get the job done. Or do you want to, or do you want to be the kind of man, the kind of woman that uses what you've got and says, however this turns out, my own conscience tells me I'm required to do this. Whether you want to go to church or not, my own conscience tells me to go to church. I'm not trying to serve a Lord who likes me so much he doesn't care whether I participate. He cares whether you participate. He cares whether you participate. He cares about the passion you participate with. He cares not just about your attendance, he cares about where your heart is. <clears throat> about how you're conducting yourself. About why you're here in this room tonight. Why I'm here in this room tonight. Because I guarantee you, somewhere before the day is over tomorrow, you'll have some kind of an encounter where you get to decide what your preference, what your choice is, and you're gonna to get to say, I can take the easy way, or I can take the right way. 
It might have to do with money. It might have to do with a word coming out of your mouth towards your spouse. It might have to do with an attitude. It might have to do with what you eat, drink, where you go, how you spend your life. You'll have to choose. You'll have to choose what you think is right. You'll have to choose whom you think you should honor, yourself, your wife, the Lord, and it's not an easy proposition because it's fluid, it changes, and you just have to have an intimacy, a walk with him to where you know what to do. These lessons, these lessons don't get caught, don't get taught in school. These lessons get taught in church. They get taught, they get taught on purpose because you come to church with a whole lot of people who are different than you, who don't think like you do, who don't necessarily believe what you believe, or don't believe the same things you believe with the same strength and the same passion, who make mistakes, whom you make mistakes upon yourself. That's what church is supposed to be for. Church is supposed to be a dance class well beyond any of our skill set, where we step on toes, we knock over chairs, we upstage each other, we hurt folks, we do our best and get laughed at, not church. We do our worst and get laughed at even more. We try and fail and try and sometimes succeed a little bit more because the whole time that's happening, we've got an entire New Testament body of truth about honor your brother, love one another, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. We've got all sorts of things that are presenting themselves on the frontal lobe of our mind, letting us choose how we act, how we relate, what we think about each other, how we value each other, how we behave. That's what marriage is for. That's exactly what marriage is for, is to show you that you can't be happy and be married. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in the flesh you'll have a lot of trouble. Marriage is a lot of trouble. Biblically, marriage is a lot of trouble. However, however, this is not a class on breaking up your marriage. <laughs> this is a class on understanding that while things in the flesh might be hard, yeah. there is a divine way through the mind of the Spirit to where one and one where you join together makes three, not two. That there is a place where God Himself yeah. inhabits that relationship. So the marriage itself, so the relationship itself becomes greater than the sum of its numbers exactly like church is supposed to be. There's something that happens. You get 75, 100 people in a room and they can all kind of be a little bit left to center and they can't quite get their toe on the line. They can't quite face the same direction. But if you can make them of one heart, even if there's only 75 of them, there might, be, there might as well be 75,000 because nothing will be impossible to them. Tower of Babel, the Lord says, let us go down and confuse them because they're saying the same thing, they're doing the same thing, and nothing shall be withheld from them. There's a principle there about joined lives, about joined hearts and families and churches, that it's just exponentially greater than the sum of its numbers. This has to do, you never get there in a marriage, you never get there in a home, 
You never get there in a church without having to choose what you're gonna believe, what you're gonna participate in, what you're going to prefer, what you're going to value. <coughs> okay, I, I got a cough, I've had it for like two years. <laughs> I've had it for like two years. It's a pre-COVID cough. It's a pre-COVID cough. <laughs> That's the truth, that's the truth. Don't run out the door. <laughs> I'm not a plant. <laughs> I'm not here to test you. <laughs> being a believer at home, being a believer at church, being a believer on the job requires a constant choosing and preferring God's word, God's will above your own. And those lessons were not taught to the best of us in our household. We were taught at the very best, generally how to submit and obey, but we were not taught the value in honoring. And that's why we're gonna look in Ephesians chapter six, right off the bat, it says that there is a blessing, there is a blessing, a promise of a blessing that comes from honoring your mother and father. It's very simple. Ephesians chapter six. We're gonna look at two portions of scripture. Father, we're so grateful for your word, for your truth. We're so thankful that we were able to hear from your spirit through Gene, through Jacob, through Jennifer, through the praise and worship team. We're so, we're so humble that you would speak to us and place your wisdom and truth in our hearts and lives. Open our hearts, open our minds to see and grasp the truth that's in your word and beyond seeing it, beyond knowing it with our minds. May your spirit cause your word to come alive in our hearts so that we know what to prefer and how to prefer it in a way that brings honor and glory and praise to you as we practice our faith moving towards being good, solid representatives of Christ on the earth. We thank you for this, Father. We honor you for it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Chapter six, verse one, verse that every kid learned as a Christian kid. <laughs> Jacob, or Jacob and his sister Maria must have had to recite this thing a thousand times. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. <laughs> what does the Bible say? <laughs> Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. Not the obedience, the honor. The obedience follows the honor. The obedience was not the goal per se, the honor was. The obedience was the result of being honorable. And that's what we try to teach all of our kids. We try to teach them to honor so that we don't have to watch them every second of the day and make sure they do the right thing. When they begin to honor, they begin to self-monitor. They monitor themselves. That's how you learn, that's how you grow, and then you realize that someone 
someone is watching you and they're expecting your best effort from you. So he says, this is the first commandment with a promise. And the promise is this, that it may go well with you and that you may live longer in the land. So whatever you define going well, that could be money, that could be health, that could be job opportunities, it's, it's good stuff. It's a happy marriage, it's, it's a good family, it's, uh, it's a prosperous world for you, no matter what everybody else's world is. And he says that you may live long in the land so that you can be there and have your own possessions and live in the land that you can live a long time. So there's longevity in here, there's health in here, there's, there's everything you could ever have for a good life. Yeah. Right here. This is a great verse to quote about healing. Yes, it it's a great is. verse to teach your children about healing. So he says that it may go well and you may, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So notice, notice the children were told to obey. The children were told to obey. The children were told to honor their father and mother. But then it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So while this has got all sorts of implications to it, the nurture and the instruction, the discipline of the Lord, that's a real broad subject, but there's already been right there in that passage, there's already been an instruction given. And the instruction was children obey your parents. So he could be saying, it's not unfair to say, that the Apostle Paul's writing and saying, here's fathers, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to see to it that your children obey. Fathers, what you're supposed to do is see to it that your children honor. This was not a lesson that most of us were taught when we were kids. We were taught to obey. We weren't necessarily taught to honor. But the blessing, the benefit, the health is with the honor. And then he says, fathers don't make them angry. The implication is that kind of anger erodes a child's capacity to both obey and to honor. Amen. Don't raise your hands. Any angry men in the room? I knew you guys wouldn't raise your hands. Listen, every angry man in the room, every man angry, every man in the room is probably angry. Anger of itself is not a bad thing. God gets angry. But anger of itself aimed at unrighteousness might be a good thing. A brewing, stewing disappointment in life that causes someone to have a quick temper, that causes someone to not have confidence, that causes someone to explode and go all over the world with their words, with their actions, this is not a good thing, and you can't wash that enough, you can't shave that enough and clean it up and send it to church and have it be nice. Being a Christian isn't about being nice. Being a Christian isn't about being a good citizen. It's about having Christ rule and reign in your heart, rule and reign in your life, and it is those corners of your being, of your soul, that he wants to come inside of and change you. And every time he does, I guarantee you, there's always a proposition that says, oh, you got mad, did you? I'm sorry to hear that. You got mad. You got your feelings hurt. You got your What did you get your, oh, right here. What is that? Right there. And that's how you feel about that. And the word says, what about that? Why don't you just make a choice about your anger, about your disappointment? No, I don't want to because nobody saw that. 
You don't know, that's just me, that's my attitude, that's my, that's my problem, that's my weakness, that's my issue, that's not, nobody else knows about that. He's always after that one piece of dark, wrong believing, wrong feeling, wrong judgment that you carry around on the inside of you because, knock, 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 open up the door and if he, any man opens up, I will come in and have fellowship with him. I'll have fellowship with him. What's that mean? I want to talk to you about the rooms in your heart. We're going to talk about this because I know good and well you're not going to yield the first time I bring it up. You got your feelings hurt. You got hurt bad. You got disappointed. You were abused. You were misused. You were you were violated emotionally. Whatever the case was, that we could all raise our hands to that. We were taken advantage of. He says, I can restore, I can heal, I can repair, I can make every bit of that brand new. It'll probably take you all your life for you to let me do it. It would not take me all of your life for me to do it. It will take you all of your life to slowly, page by page, begin to trust me so that you will let me do it. But please don't blame the time delay on me. The plane is waiting at the gate. As long as you just want to sit in the lounge and wait, I'll wait on you, but the plane is ready for you to move if you get up and go get on the aircraft. As long as you're willing to have your heart surrendered. But to do so, you have to come to a place where you say, well, oh, I guess I preferred protecting myself. I preferred guarding myself, but if that's really, that's really what has to happen. I mean, nobody knows about it. You can live straight, mediocre Christianity all your life. You can, you can die with all your stuff. You can collect some. You can really collect stuff at church. If you can't get offended at church, you couldn't get offended in the army. Church, church is built, church is built to offend you. Church offends you on purpose. It's the divine mind. We're going to make you unhappy so you can really, we're going to let you see and everybody around you see how you get your buttons pushed and what you really say. And you're going to find yourself exploding and saying things and doing things that you thought, well, you know, I'm not really that kind of person. How come that happens at church? Oh, I know why. It's because it's filled with other Christians just like you. You're all just careening down the highway <laughs> together. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Let's go side to side. Something ought to be taking place, though, in your own being, in your family, your marriage, in your church. It's slowly, month by month, sometimes speedily, depending on the crisis you bump up against. God works in you, and He says, make a choice. If you make a choice, I'll help you. So I need a miracle. I need you to make this go away. Okay, I'll make it go away. Make a choice. What kind, of, what kind of guy, what kind of guy says to a blind man, get up and go wash your eyes? Yes, exactly right. Jesus did it. It's like, okay, blind guy, you want to get healed? Get up and stubble your way onto the, where the pool is and wash your eyes. A lame guy sitting there. You want to get healed? Get up. 
We think he's going to come in and say, I'm going to fix this so you're not going to feel any pain. Everything's going to be great. He's going to find you. He's going to find me at my point of weakness and say, okay, I can fix this. Just do this one thing you can, don't think you can do. Try to do this one thing that you don't think you can do. Give this $1,000 you don't think you can give. Uh, offer this piece of forgiveness that you think if you offer this forgiveness that it's not going to turn out right. Just, just do this one thing that enables me to come into your heart, prefer me, prefer my word, prefer my spirit, so I can work on the inside of you. That's why it's better not to make them angry to start with. Because an angry, an angry church does not do the will of God. An angry husband does not lead a peaceable family. An angry, an angry family, an angry, bitter family does not inherit the blessings of God. It's got to be dealt with, and it's dealt with through honor. Too much time. Mark chapter 6. It has an effect, honor and dishonor have an effect on your ability to believe. I said in the earlier group, I think, I say it a lot to myself. You know more than what you believe. That's, that's the human condition. You're going to know a lot more of the Bible than what you actually believe. It's a, it's a tragic error for you to think that because you've read it and can quote it, that, that that means you believe it. You practice what you believe. And if you don't practice it, you don't believe it. Now, you might practice it and miss the ball every now and then, and you can believe it. You might make some mistakes. You might have some up days and down days. But what you believe, you practice. What you believe about giving, you practice. What you believe about love, you practice. What you believe about forgiveness, you practice those things. You don't have to think about them. Maybe in the beginning you think about it and make a choice to do it. You discipline yourself. You train yourself to do it. But you, you practice. You live, you live what you believe. Today, you lived what you believed about generosity as you went through your day. You lived what you believe about faith. You, you lived what you believe about the Lord's role in your life as you worried and fretted or concerned yourself or consoled yourself with the word of the news or the word of the truth. You, you, you lived it. You lived it. I live it. I live it. Mark 6, 1, he went away from there, Jesus' center stage here, and came to his hometown, which is not always a good thing to do. His disciples followed him, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? So, right up there, looking at the word astonished, there is a moment where the group is listening and they realize they're hearing and seeing things beyond their experience. They realize that there's truth being unveiled 
that goes beyond their ability to grasp it, that nobody's ever preached this to them before. They're astonished at it. That means they're stopped in their tracks. Right there, they're listening to it, but they're aware, just like you are, they're aware if what that guy said is true, I gotta make some changes. Just like when you are reading the Bible, you'll see something, your heart will stop you, your heart will arrest you, you'll see a truth in there, and did you ever see a truth that you wished you didn't see? Because I have. You can see a truth in the book, and your heart bursts with joy when you see it in one second, and the second second you go, but if that's true, it means my whole identity has to be shifted and changed about how I'm going to live this out. Did anybody see me read this? Did anybody know I read it? Has anybody looked at my journal? Because if nobody knows it, then I don't have to act on it. But if you know it, you have to act on it. That's the difference between knowing and the difference between actually believing. They were astonished, but apparently they weren't comfortable with having to make some choices. So they said, where, what, and how? Uh, who taught you this? I don't think I heard anybody preach like that before. Where'd you get that wisdom? How is it you're doing these miracles? So he was doing some miracles. They'd heard about some miracles. He's doing some miracles. And they said the most logical thing, mm, I think we knew you. We've met you before. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took, they didn't stumble into it, they took offense at him. They took offense. And Jesus said to them, the prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there. Even Jesus can't do miracles in Abbotsford. <laughs> That's kind of what it says. I'm always aware, I'm always aware that the world does not stumble over Jesus. They stumble over the Jesus we represent, we, that we draw for them. They don't stumble over the theory or the ideas behind it. They stumble over how we make him look. They don't stumble because of him. It's us that offends them. That's right. That's right. Because they think with some credibility, if all of that was true, how come you people don't look like you believe that? How come you people aren't living that? So the story goes on, and it says, he marveled at their unbelief. Now most of the times when I read that scripture, I think when most of us read it, what we, what we think is being discussed is just the unbelief itself. But if you'll notice, after they said those things, Jesus began to talk to them about an entirely different subject. He didn't say, you got some issues with unbelief. He said, you got issues with honor. And he said, it's hard to be honored. It's, Quoting a proverb, it's impossible to be honored 
amongst those people who really know you, your household, your family, your friends, it's the people that really know you know when you're not behaving spiritually. They know when you're not living up to your highest calling. And he said, it's really hard. I don't know what there was about Jesus. He must have been a pretty normal kid because nobody said, oh, of course this is Jesus. We saw how he was flying around the air when he was four years old. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't say things like that. They just thought he was a normal human being. So they wait, you're just a normal human being. You're a normal human being. So that probably meant he was a kid like normal kids were. You're just a normal human being. We're not really sure you can do all this stuff. Who authorized you to do this stuff? And besides that, it's very inconvenient for us to believe this. We would prefer, we would prefer to stick to religion. We would prefer to stick to what the Pharisees said. We, we prefer to stick to that because what you're saying is so different, we're all going to have to change. We're going to have to be somebody completely different than who we wanted to be. He said, a prophet's not without honor, except amongst his household and those that know him. Then he marveled at their unbelief. The unbelief, I believe, was the, was the result of the dishonor. So, where does this leave us? This leaves us understanding. Jacob said it, I think Jean said it, Jennifer did as well. You pay for what you value, you pay for what you honor, you, you invest your mind, your words, your ideas, your thoughts, your focus into it. The coming years, you and I are gonna have to really decide to honor God to do what he tells us to do, to not do what he tells us not to do, and beyond what he might be telling somebody else to do or not do, we're gonna to have to choose within ourselves to follow our own heart, follow our own conviction as it lines up with the word of God and prefer his voice even above our own voice. This is what has to happen for the body of Christ to wake up and see a God that the rest of the world can believe in because we've chosen to believe in it. And where it's gonna happen is not up here on the stage, not up here with great praise and worship, as important as that is, in that moment when your heart is touched, it's gonna to happen on Monday through Friday when you live your family life out, when you go to church on Sunday and you make preference and you forgive your brothers and sisters for their humanity, when you overlook what they're not, determined to see them for who they are, preferring one another in love. This you can do. This is the Bible. It's the Bible. It's the New Testament. That's why it says it. That's why it says love one another and honor one another. It doesn't say it so you just won't fight and just self-destruct. It says it because that's the way that the world can know that he came, that he's alive, that he loves you, that he loves them. Stand up with me if you would. <laughs> Father, I pray for these gathered here tonight that a spirit of honor would displace a spirit of anger, a spirit of fear, and rejection and disappointment. That from this moment forth, whether it's by little steps or great strides, their capacity to trust, their capacity to pull down barriers and let 
men and women into their lives, their capacity to love, their capacity to even own their own missteps increases in number and in momentum. I ask that you heal broken hearts, that you wash minds, that you redeem lost moments, that you renew and make alive again hopes. Let us not leave beat up and destroyed, but let us, let us prefer you. Let us prefer you not in word only, but let us learn to prefer you as we see your life demonstrated against those broken, flawed, imperfect human beings in this row, in this church, and in our family. Renew your love within us so that as we draw from you, we're able in strength and confidence to pour ourselves out, to pour ourselves upon, and to be a healing balm renewed hope and life to all those around us. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Just say quickly this with me. I prefer you, Lord. I value you above myself and above those in my life. So from here on, I determine to let you be my guide. Lead me, guide me into truth, into being a vessel of life and love that we may all pursue you into eternity. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that His Spirit, His love, and His life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.